Hello and welcome to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gary Morgan. With me, as always, is the beat writer for Pitt Athletics over at DK Pittsburgh Sports, Corey Christen. Corey, are you enjoying your time off as much as all the kids that go to Pitt are about to? (laughs) It's as much of time off as I can can get right now. I'm, you know, I spent the week up in Mercer County hanging out at, you know, with some family and friends over the week. I'm currently in the makeshift secondary studio, if you will. If you're watching the video version, there's a jacket arm hanging by my head. So that's the setup we're working with right now. Uh, it's It's been as day off-y as it can be, obviously, with the NFL draft coming up. Very busy right now. And we're getting set to see, in a pit perspective, Kalijah Kansi, Israel Vanakanda, Hava Baldonado, etc., you know, take the next step in their NFL futures. So really exciting week coming up here, obviously, with the draft and, you know, just keeping things moving. The spring sports season, things tend to die down a little bit, especially after the spring game. So, but there is still pit hoops news that we, it's wild. We're in April and we're leading the show again <laughs> with pit hoops. Well, we, we keep talking about how, um, you know, we'll let the, the news take us where it takes us. Right. And, the news keeps taking us back to pit hoops. It's not like we're we're seeking it out, you know. But they're they're doing stuff. So we have a few items here we we wanted to hit on before we get into the some of the draft capital. So let's start with that. Um, first, Jeff Capel added a veteran piece to his uh, backcourt, getting uh, Ishmael Leggert. I don't know anything about him. I'm not going to pretend that I know anything about him, but I know you do. And I'm not going to sit here and read your article to everybody. You tell them what what you wrote about, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, this was a necessary move for Jeff Capel to get another guard out of the portal. And when you look at Ish Leggett, you know, as far as a profile is concerned and what type of a player he is, he screams Jamarius Burton off the tape and off paper, just looking at what he does with the basketball in his hands. So six foot three, so just a bit shorter than Jamarius, doesn't shoot the three particularly well, only about 32%. But what he can do is drive. He can penetrate. He can pass. He's a high-scoring guard from, again, kind of like what Pitt got with, with Zach Austin uh, from, the for- from the forwards in the front court. You know, they get a high-scoring, uh, another guy that can put the ball in, although he doesn't shoot it well from three. He was Tremendous at Rhode Island for a really bad Rhode Island team, too. Yeah. So, you know, this was just Jeff Capel finding essentially what is the best player on a mid-major program and finding a way and, and finding how that fits in. Remember the whole theme of last year's offseason, what it turned out to be was, you know, they go out for all of these players from the transfer portal and they find a way to make it work together. And, and it's about selling the buy-in, Right. Well, there's a buy-in that worked over the last year. We saw them with the NCAA tournament run. Now there's not as much of a buy-in. The evidence is kind of there. So when you look at Ish Leggett and you watch the film on him, he's he's a creator. He's a facilitator. He can get inside despite his size. He's less of a true point guard. I'll I'll put it this way. Dananelli Cummings is, but he's more of a facilitator. And I put that in the air quotes. Than it, like a Jamarius Burton is, if that makes sense. No, it makes sense, and and they definitely have a need there. I I think that 
I think that he, he's doing the best he can to kind of keep ball movers coming in. You know, that is a lot of what's leaving. So, I mean, we're keeping a lot of the bigs. We're keeping a lot of the power forwards. And, and you know, you kind of have that whole backcourt remaking itself. I expected there to be a lot coming in. So, good good news, I think, by all accounts there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, 16, I, I mean, 16 points a game, 5.8 rebounds, 2.3 assists. He played 35 minutes a game last year, and he started all 31 games for Rhode Island. So, he's durable. He's productive, um, former three-star recruit, so it's a good get. Now, there's two scholarships open for Jeff Capel. So one would think that he's going to go get a three-point shooter out of that. The interesting thing about Pitt's roster as it sits right now, there are seven members in the front court compared to, I believe, it's four in the back court. So I think yeah. Jeff Capel's leading now more towards getting two more guards and just shoring up that back court. I think a three-point specialist, a la Greg Elliott, is still on the list for Gre- uh, for Jeff Capel to go get. And then we'll see who else is is kind of out there. There's been a lot of targets, obviously, over the course of the spring that have been contacted by Pitt but have since committed or, or signed elsewhere, for that matter. So, you know, sure. we'll see what Jeff Capel continues to do as far as who he's getting from the portal and what type of player he's going to go get from the portal. But with Zach Austin and now with Ish Leggett, Two really just solid scoring prospects that, you know, Austin and I think both of them, for the fact of that matter, could start day one. But if, right. if Jeff Capel really feels that, you know, maybe a three-point specialist, you know, someone to go along with Blake Hinson, you know, can help spread the floor, then obviously he's going to go do that. So a couple of good gets here from from Jeff Capel. Well, speaking of Blake Hinson, I mean, Mr. Segway King. Blake Henson, you know, announced that he's going to uh, go ahead and make himself eligible for the NBA draft. Can you just explain to people why that's a thing um, for the NBA where, where players are allowed to go do that, but they can't really do that in the other leagues? Well, I mean, back in, I guess, the day, NBA player, you know, high school players could go right into the NBA draft at that point. And then it, it's always kind of been... You know, you can test out on the NBA combine. You can have representation. You can get advice from scouts, but you could withdraw your name from the draft. And that's exactly what Blake Hinson's going to be doing here. He's going to be testing for the NBA. He's going to be what that means just in layman's terms is he's going to work out in front of scouts and, you know, have them tell him, hey, here's what you need to work on to get to this next level. I, I don't think Blake Hinson doesn't return to Pitt. I'll put it that way. I think he comes back to Pitt, and I don't see any indication otherwise. But I think this is nothing but good news for Blake, for him to go and see where he stands. If his goal is to play in the NBA and to go play professional basketball, this is a positive thing for him to do. And quite frankly, I wish more prospects would do it, whether they're, you know, gearing towards the NBA or not. Just go get feedback from professionals, you know, not to disrespect the pit coaching staff or, you know, what what the ACC represents. But when you look at just like the G League nowadays, you know, the NBA, I think, thought it would take off more than it actually has. Sure. And then. You know, you look at some of these players like a Darius Baisley, for example, and I'm using that again, cheap example, because I'm a Syracuse alum. He was going to be an insane recruit for Jim Beheim, And then he said, you know what? Screw that. I'm going to play in the G League. To his credit, he's in the NBA now, but it took him probably longer than if he just went and played, you know, one year at Syracuse and then left. So 
it's a really finicky in a way process because it's not an exact science either. But at the same time, like for guys that kind of know and have the resolve to say, this isn't for me quite yet, or I'm not ready quite yet. This is a really good way just to measure the game up compared to some of the other prospects in the class. So this will be cool for Blake. And and I'm interested to see what kind of feedback he gets. Well, this is a weird situation too. Blake's a, notoriously good coachable kid he'll do whatever right um whatever the team needs to win as they say Corey, and that's what we've seen from him is there any chance that he goes he gets some feedback like hey i want to see this from you you know that would really probably up your draft stock and he comes back and maybe has a little pushback when jeff capel tells him he wants him to go and basically play the one because <laughs> he has to mm-hmm. for for a stretch and and Blake's like that's not good for my draft status you know is there any of that that happens from from testing the waters a little bit or is this more just me thinking as a fan depends on the prospect like you said Blake is super coachable he he's probably the most coachable aside from the twins maybe on the pit roster right now like Blake is receptive and that's a really good word i think to put to just about anything. He's receptive to feedback. He's receptive to criticism. He There would be times, of course, where, you know, he would have a bad game and he would shut down. And you know what? That's his way of, of going about it. You know, he didn't play well. He doesn't want to talk about it. Move on. But even when he plays well, he doesn't seem to want to talk about it either sometimes. So, you know, right. Blake, Blake can be the most readable guy in the room or the one to get the or the hardest one to get a read on, if that makes sense. So with Blake, I think that he's going to get some advice from this, and I think he's going to take it with stride. And I think there's going to be maybe a little bit of an element of that. And of course, you know, Jeff Capel, his staff, they want to see the players go, you know, to the NBA. They want to see, right. you know, the Justin Champagnes of the world in recent memory, of course, you know, get that call up, so to speak, and play on the big level. I get that. But at the same time, you know, Blake has to understand that he has a role on this team. And the role that he has on this team is not necessarily the same one that he's going to have if he goes goes to play for, I don't know, the, the Toronto Raptors, you know? There's sure. just there's just a different breed of game between college and especially in the ECC compared to the NBA. So I think there's going to be good feedback. I think there's going to be opportunity for Blake to learn from it and to grow from it. And to maybe he'll apply those to an individual context off the floor. Because his game does speak for itself. We've seen sure. Blake Henson light it up and do some incredible things with the basketball. So it'll be an interesting, you know, dynamic to look forward to and to watch for. And, you know, what I think it comes down to, I think Blake is going to take this and make a positive out of it. Sure. Hey, let's take a quick break. Um, when we come back, we'll talk one more little pit hoops note, and then we'll move on into uh, some of the draft eligibles here. Um, for those of you watching on video, it's just going to be us sitting here for a couple seconds. Audio, real break. All 
All right, and we are back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. And Corey, we left off talking about pit hoops. We're going to jump right back into pit hoops. John Hughley also committed to Oklahoma, so his transfer portal dreams have been fulfilled. And um, I, I saw some of the things you wrote about it, a little bit of an end of a chapter, beginning of a new era type thing. Just go ahead and give your thoughts on on John Hughley's time here. Yeah, that story I wrote pretty much laid it out, but in a vacuum, you know, John was the best player on a bad team. That's the blanket statement. He was the best player on a bad team, which there's nothing wrong with being the best player on any team. And I don't want to discredit John for, you know, leading a ACC program, being an all ACC caliber player, leading them in points and rebounds and doing that for, for, you know, the couple of years that he was at Pitt. But at the same time, Pitt was a bad team with him. Like, and, and part of that, of course, comes to team building, roster construction, and all that. But when your best player can't elevate your next best player really to that level, there's something just disconnecting there. And John is a good player. I don't want to discount anything that he's done. He's a good player. He's going to be a good player at Oklahoma, we hope. But he's kind of going into a similar situation from a bas- – this is just from a basketball standpoint. Because obviously John dealt with, you know, off the floor stuff. He had a knee injury. He had to rehab. He dealt with personal uh, mental health matters that obviously we hope nothing but the best for that he could just come out of the other side in a positive way from that. But just from a basketball standpoint, okay, Oklahoma and the two years that they've been under the direction of Porter Mosier, who of course took Loyola Chicago, you know, Sister Jean, the Final Four, all that. Sure. They are one game above 500 in two seasons under Porter Mosier. And I say that to say this. John went from being at a sub-500 pit program to now going to a barely 500 Oklahoma program and is going to expect to play. I'm assuming he's going to start if he's going to go there. And, you know, he might have been told, you know, hey, you're going to start or you're going to be our sixth man, whatever it may be. There's a role for John at Oklahoma. I don't know if I could have said the same about him at Pitt this year just because of the emergence of Federico, the Twins, and even looking at a Zach Austin and a Blake Hinson now and seeing what they could potentially combo, they being Jeff Cable, what they could potentially combo within that front court. John really didn't have a spot, quite frankly, on this pit roster anymore, just based on the winning and just based on the chemistry and the fluidity and how that front court worked out last year. And again, not to disrespect John as a player, to that extent, but at the same time, again, it's true. He was the best player on a bad basketball team. So as John leaves, you know, we could kind of look at that era. Really the only player left from those sub 500 pit teams is Will Jeffers. And he didn't play last year. So much of those players that quite frankly, just couldn't win at pit are now gone. You look at last year, it was, it was the new transfers. It was, Blake Hinson emerging, it was Federico, it was the Twins emerging. So the new era that I talked about is exactly that. And, and looking at John, that just kind of, to me, is a is a symbolism, is a microcosm of Jeff Capel's first four years at Pitt and what they represented. And it's also, I, th- I think Pitt, in a way, if I'm the coaching staff, I feel a little bit hard done by, I would say. You know, we stood by you 
you know, while you were injured, we stood by you when you needed to step away from the game. You know, nobody said anything negative about him. And then he's in the transfer portal. They find out while they're in the tournament. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. A lot of that kind of just smelled a little funny, at least from a fan's perspective here, looking at the situation. And I mean, I'm just as happy to have him transferred at this point because if you don't want to be here, you don't want to be here, right? Well, and that's valid. If if the pit staff feels that way, and what to our knowledge, what we know is that the support staff gave John the opportunity to utilize the services to remain with the team. John felt in January he had to step away. Whatever was going on personally, whatever was going on in his own life, to our knowledge, this is this is not like malicious against Jeff Capel or malicious against the pit program from John's standpoint, from John's standpoint, to our knowledge, this is a deep rooted personal issue, mental health matter, personal matter that he is operating through was slash is operating through. So right now, what we can confirm or infer in a way, I shouldn't say confirm, I should say infer is that, Whatever John felt was going on or whatever John was going through at from the time, essentially from getting injured up until he left was he felt the best thing for him to do was completely remove himself from the city of Pittsburgh. And that happened in January. And then he obviously took time to work out. He got in better shape. You look at the Twitter you know, you, you look at some of the videos that his high school coach posted on Twitter. John looked in fantastic shape. Credit to him for getting sure. that together. But after all of that, John still felt that the best way for him to go forward, whether it was personally, whether it was professionally, whether it was academically, whatever the reason was, was to remove himself and stay removed from Pittsburgh. So we can't fault him for that one bit. But again, what we can say now is that John leaving Pitt is kind of just ending what was a losing era at this program. Yeah, I agree. And speaking of uh, eras, you know, every NFL draft is the beginning of a new era, you know, for every NFL team and, and the ending of an era for every college football team. Pitt is no different. They have a lot of players, uh, eligible for the draft and a lot of potential players that really could get picked. Um, let's take a quick run through that, man. I mean, Kalajikansi is the big name. I think he's the only first round possibility, but that's my opinion. How about you? No, I'm with you on that. Kalijah, again, we talked about, you know, when it was Pitt's pro day and we were starting to ramp up the draft conversation we talked about Kalijah and the mock draft world and the mock draft world is, is very complex. Okay. I'll put it that way. <laughs> but when it comes to the mock draft world and Kalijah Kansi, he's been mock drafted anywhere from 10th to 20th to the Steelers to the outside of the first round to barely in the first round. Like he has had so many different just slottings of where he could end up. And, I did my my one and only, I call it. My one mock draft out of one mock draft that you will see from me between when was it Thursday and this Thursday's NFL draft. So I, I, I'm letting it marinate for a week. You mean you're not going to find out that, that 
Mike Tomlin shared a deep dish pizza with somebody and it changed your mind? I, I will be at Mike Tomlin's uh, press conference on Monday, <laughs> along with Omar Khan. So if I find out that, you know, Tomlin and, and Kalijah shared a deep dish, and I'll put Kalijah to the Steelers at 17. But anyway, um, my one of one, and I put Kalijah to the Lions at 18, right after the Steelers pick. And the reason I did that was, number one, there's an obvious, obvious connection to make with the Detroit Lions organization, and that's the general manager, Brad Holmes. Brad Holmes was the director of college scouting for the Los Angeles Rams slash St. Louis Rams for a long time. And he drafted some kid named Aaron Donald. So obvious connection there. Detroit needs a D tackle. Kalijah, I would assume, would be there at 18. That, I think, is a good landing spot for him. In my opinion, and I want your take on this, Gary, because we know the Pat Narduzzi defense. We know the system that he runs. Kalijah is undersized for a 3-4 nose tackle. I'm sorry. He, he could deny it all he wants. He could say, look, I, I'm a big boy. He is a big boy, okay? 280, 283 he measured at, six foot one. He's a large human. I get it. But for a 3-4 nose tackle, I'm not so sure he fits for that scheme. I think he is more of a 4-3, get on the line, whatever technique, defensive tackle. What do you think just from watching Kalijah for all these years that you've seen him? I think he's more of a 4-3, um, but I think it's more because of his arm length and the ability to stop the run. I don't mm-hmm. think those are his strengths. Um, so I think in a 4-3, he, he fits better because he can be interior, but he doesn't have to be the interior. And uh, with, with a team like Pittsburgh, you have to be. So mm-hmm. I just don't see that um, as a fit for them. I think they'd find a way to use them. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. That's I think you sure. can be schemed in. And uh, I, I think you can make him one of the outside rushers, you know, or, um, you know, even the, the left tackle or whatever. And I think he'd be able to, to make an impact there, but nose tackle, traditional nose tackle. Nope. No I don't way. see it either. No, I, I like what you said there though, about they can scheme him in. I think any team can scheme Kalijah Kansi and it's just a matter of can they? Do they have the personnel around him? You know, let's assume it's it's like New Orleans or somebody, right? Yeah. Or like or even, you know, pick a three four. I used the four three there. Pick a three four, but like find a three four team that could scheme Kalijah in that would have the talent around him. The Steelers have a Cam Hayward, they have a TJ Watt, they have a Alex Highsmith, they have all of these different rushers that could get to the quarterback and Kalijah, while I think he should play down on the line, like he would be an upgrade over Larry Ogunjobi. He would be an upgrade to that D line without a question. He'd be an upgrade to any D line. So I'm curious to know not just where he goes, but I'm curious to know what system he's going to go into. Again, I think the lions with the four, three, with the history with Brad Holmes and Aaron Donald and like Dan Campbell wanting to bite kneecaps and the way that that Lions team, by the way, is surging. Like, I think he could just be a huge factor on that defensive line. So I don't hate the Lions pick. I don't hate the Lions pick, but I think think it would work tremendously. I personally think he'll go all the way to the Bills. Oh, that would be scary. I think the Bills need a defensive lineman badly. And I think he'll McDermott will work with him to, to make that work. 
See, I don't I have think, him going that far. I don't have him slipping that far. I do, but like I, the only reason I do is because I I think it's iffy that he's a, a day one starter, and to pick somebody in the first round to me that's almost a prerequisite. Like as if you're pre pick twenty, mm-hmm. you know, I think anything below twenty, you kind of have to have a starter come out of it, unless it's a quarterback and you're going to sit them, you know, for the requisite amount of, of games to like kind of get their feet wet or whatever. But I think if you're dra- picking a, a position player elsewhere 1 to 20 they better start I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, and I want your thoughts. I I took the statement, the blanket statement. If there is one pit player that you would like to see the Steelers draft, who would it be? My answer was Servasier Dennis, because I think he could, first of all, the value, it would be a day three pick. Number two, I think he could slide in like dime linebacker, dime backer, whatever it is. He could play special teams. He could do just about anything. I think he'd be a perfect fit in Pittsburgh. If there's I got to tell you what, what Salasier Dennis is, though, and and this is a good thing, so don't take this badly. He's Robert Spillane. With in in all reality, he's okay. going to go 100 miles an hour. He's going to do the things he's supposed to do. He's heady. He's probably not ever going to be your premier feature middle linebacker. But if you need him on special teams or you need him to fill in or you need him in a package, he's a great get. So, yes, if he was available like in the fourth or fifth round, love it. Mm-hmm. it that would be your guy too, then? Yeah. There you go. Look, we agreed. We don't do this often either. We don't agree on like those kind of like vague questions either. That's great. I think, no, I think, I think from a leadership standpoint, he's – I think – exciting and i think an under the radar guy is alexander alexander could get some some looks um he's got the size that kelsey that cancy doesn't mm-hmm. but he doesn't have the rushing ability and people mm-hmm. usually want that rushing ability more than they are, are worried about the size see for me i think the dark horses in that regard per se the two that come to my mind are carter warren a left tackle and yeah. then jared wayne a wide receiver. Let's not forget Jared Wayne. The obvious pre-connection with Kenny Pickett, what the Steelers are doing with their wide receivers room, looking at an Allen Robinson, they just get the veteran in, which I don't understand how people were destroying that trade. It's a complete win for the Steelers. Oh, it's silly. Um, yeah. Uh, but like Deontay, okay, you think of Deontay, you think of Pickens, you think of uh, Allen Robinson, you think of the depth behind them. It's not tremendous. Calvin Austin, obviously, we haven't seen yet. But like, could Jared, like a flyer on Jared Wayne? And I'm not sure where Jared Wayne's stock is because if you asked me before Pitt's pro day, I would have said he went undrafted. But after his pro day and the just the athleticism he showed and, you know, 41 and a half vertical, he did some really nice things when catching with the catching drills. Like, I think he played himself into day three in a way. But do the Steelers look at Jared Wayne or I don't know what team does, obviously, but like, would the Steelers look at a Jared Wayne and say, well, he he's Kenny's boy. Like 
that's an option. If we're not going to get Jordan Addison, might as well get the sec- literally the second best thing that would that Kenny saw at Pitt. I have a hard time believing that 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 um, Jared Wayne is somebody that gets drafted before like the sixth or seventh round by anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and no offense to you, because I know you pay attention to a ton of college outside of what you're covering. But I just feel like you might be shaded a little bit by recency bias. I've watched Jared Wayne play for years, and this last year was the first time that he was really noticeable. It's fair. And it was kind of because he had to be, because <laughs> there wasn't anybody else, you know, um, that was like ready to step in. I, I, I think Mumford kind of had some warts at the beginning of the season, and I, I, I didn't really like how that setup was working and they ended up finding Wayne a lot and he stepped up to his credit, but he doesn't have like extraordinary speed. I wouldn't call him like a guy that's just going to muscle the ball away from everybody. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think he gets a, a s- exceptional separation, but again, he's an athlete. He can play a little wide receiver. You can probably shove him in special teams. Good player, good head on his shoulders, six or seventh round type guy to me. But I, I mean, and I don't say that to diminish people. If you can be a special teamer in the NFL, mm-hmm. you're a special athlete. I just think that's kind of where he falls for me. I don't see anybody taking him, hoping he makes their wide receiver room on opening day. That's you know? valid. That's valid. No, that that's completely fair. And maybe even an undrafted free agent signing, you know, sure. would work best as far as teams looking at Wayne. I think Wayne could could squeak into the seventh round, but you know, too much to be seen there. Carter Warren's interesting to me because of the, you know, the knee injury he sustained week four. You know, he wasn't able to test at the combine. He looked okay at the pro day. You know, he is built like a left tackle. And I think a team's going to take him as a left tackle at some point. I'm just not sure when. Now like mocks I've been reading say the analysts and the in the pundits and the you know the Twitter elite, if you will, they say <laughs> Carter Warren is like a third, fourth, fifth rounder in some in some cases. I think for a mid round tackle, I think that's pretty good value for a guy like Carter Warren, who was all ACC before he got hurt. Yeah, Carter Warren is somebody that I, I think you're right about. We we probably really don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you could see somebody decide they really love what they saw and pick him up in the fourth round before somebody else snacks him up. And who knows? It, it just depends on how deep people really think that that offensive line, you know, setup is. And I've heard varying reports about that. Some people have said it's super deep. Some people have said it's, it's really a lot thinner than you believe. There's really only a one wave. And if that's the case, yeah, you could see him getting picked up in the, in the, even the fourth round, I would say. And then, you know, you're looking at somebody like that to step in at some point, not this year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think he's a development project type. Mm-hmm. I was watching some film on Jordan Addison, and I bring him up because he is a former pit receiver, of course. Sure. I know he's a sore subject for a lot of people, including Pat Narduzzi. Um, his pit tape compared to his USC tape is night and day. Yes, it is. And I know he got hurt last year. He missed a couple of games with an injury. I, but here's the thing. He had a Heisman winning quarterback and a Heisman finalist quarterback in two straight seasons. 
and yeah. Kenny Pickett made him look like money at Pitt. And Caleb Williams did not make him look like money at USC, the guy that actually won the Heisman. So I'm curious to know, and this is like, I don't know. This is a question that neither of us could answer or like neither of us would have the answers to. Like, I wonder out loud what kind of tape like scouts are watching when it comes to Jordan Addison. Are they watching the pit tape or are they watching the USC tape or are they doing a bit of both and comparing them? Because Addison was amazing. Obviously, Bolitnikoff, just amazing at pit it, and just watching like the difference between breaking routes, getting separation, like twitchiness, all that stuff. He was a completely different wide receiver, 21 compared to 22. I would agree with that. I also think the USC offense is much more structured. Mm-hmm. Um, so it didn't leave any kind of creativity for a wide receiver and especially a wide receiver. That's got a comfortable and familiar relationship with his quarterback, which he did at Pitt. And I think despite like just the, the Heisman running and Heisman candidate aspect of it, he played with him for years. They mm-hmm. knew each other. They knew what they were going to do. They knew how they were going to go about it. They, it was, it was like Ben and AB to a lesser degree. They knew where they were going to be. He knew when to turn around. He knew when Kenny was going to be in trouble, vice versa. Mm-hmm. I, I think they worked well together more than anything. I, I think scouts are probably going to look at the speed. Speed is what stirs the drink in today's NFL. And if you, you can't teach speed. Mm-hmm. He can, you can't teach somebody to run like that. So if it's something that they feel he still has, which I think he does, he survived the speed with the injury and everything. You're right about the twitchiness and the separation, but I just think that was a lack of familiarity with the routes he was being asked to run and to a degree, not being able to be as creative as he can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm curious to know where he goes I, in my mock draft. One of one, I put him to the chargers at 21 because I just want to see Justin Herbert, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Jordan Addison, Austin Eckler on the same field together. That's literally why I did it. <laughs> Some of these mock drafts like are, are way too analysis, detailed, in depth. I did a little bit of that, but I also did a little bit of duh analysis. In yeah, my, yeah. Some of my favorite analysis is the duh analysis, which is just, you know, I put I put a defensive end to Kansas City because I like the name. Like, I don't know. I just... Sometimes it works, and maybe I go thirty-two and thirty-two, and maybe I don't, and we'll live. So it's it's like predicting every NFL pariah. Jerry Jones is going to give him the first interview. I understand yeah. what you're saying, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, I just think uh, I think Pitt's got a lot of interesting guys here. We we could wind up being shocked, and six or seven of them wind up getting picked by the end mm-hmm. of this whole thing. Um, I think a lot of them. Home. A lot of them will get invited to, to camps regardless. I mm-hmm. think there'll be a lot of undrafted free agents out of this class. But NFLers are NFLers, man. doesn't really matter how they come. And nothing nothing you can do but be proud of, of this group. I think they've done some some great things. Like We didn't even talk about like... Uh, Hobby Baldonado is another one yeah. I had in mind. Mm-hmm. He, he, he's a guy that could, could absolutely land in on somebody's draft board in the second or even third round or well he could fall all the way to six i mean you never know you don't you know. Never know he's he's a freak athlete we know that he's he's got the build to be an nfl dn so some team's gonna like him i think he's the second pit player taken behind Kalijah. so 
we have we have Thursday, we have Friday, we have Saturday, and then I'm sure a week from today, as we sit here on Sunday, we will be talking about the new homes for these pit players. We'll see, man. We'll see. I think it's going to be a good thing, and I think we should probably go ahead and wrap the show up here, Corey. That was good stuff. I had a fun time, and we will try really hard this whole summer and spring to like continue to hammer pit sports. But Pitt Sports needs to start doing a little bit more for us, Corey. I'd like to see the baseball team start doing something a little more interesting than they have been. They've been very up and down. Mm-hmm. You know, let's see a streak in one direction or another so we have something to talk to. Softball team, one note, Bailey Giprola, the pride of Brookfield, Ohio, right here. There you go. Pride of Brookfield, Ohio, making highlight play after highlight play, showing up on Sports Center's top 10, showing up on the ESPN highlight reel. So, Good on Bailey Drapola and uh, again, Pride of Brookfield, you know, now now the top most popular Brookfield export down in Pittsburgh. <laughs> Good stuff, man. So hey, we always end the show the same way. H2P. Yeah.